look at if we want to live free, if we want to be in communion with God, if we want to have complete and total freedom, that we would have to open this box in our life. And so tonight, we get to talk about bitterness. And uh, it's not the topic I was anticipating us talking about. And it's funny because it seems like every single relationship around me, not everyone, but, uh, but a ton, a ton of marriages. I, I got to tell you guys, I probably know about six or seven marriages in which this bitterness issue is taking root in these marriages. There's bitterness taking root in father-daughter relationships and father-son relationships. I'm seeing bitterness all over the place. And so as I was looking through this week and what we should talk about, and I, I realized as I was kind of reflecting on these different things is, is that God told me I'm an expert in this. I was a total expert in bitterness. I still am. I think I have freedom from it, but I think for a long time I had this nice little comfortable box here because bitterness is not the one of the, the, the main things we like to talk about and we like to address I and mean, we like to pick on other things. And so tonight we get to talk about this, and this is a little uncomfortable for me because it's a little bit of me opening a kimono a little bit on my life. And, uh, and so I'm excited for that reason because I, I think that's a real issue that a lot of us kind of glaze over. So if you guys have a Bible, will you turn to Ephesians chapter 4? And we'll start there. Ephesians 4. We're going to do a little section. I'm going to break it up into a couple small chunks here for you guys. Just to point out a few highlighted things, just to take notice. Before we do that, why don't we just ask for prayer? That sounds like a good idea. (laughs) God help. Um, Lord, we just thank you that we get to come here. And uh, Lord, I just thank you that you have such a great sense of humor. And Lord, you want to reveal to us, God, your truths. And though it may be painful, and though tonight we take a a difficult look at our own life, Lord, I pray that even if we come to a realization that we've been living for a long time, God, in bitterness, and we've allowed it to take root in our life, and we've just glossed over it, Lord, that we've had our hearts hardened, I pray that tonight you would reveal your scriptures, your truth, and you would open up to us, Lord, just freedom from that. God, we just ask that nothing but your word, your truth, would reign forth. God, every word that proceeded from my mouth would be a stewardship of God, truths that you've placed into eternity, into these pages, God. Your word, your written word that's living and applying to us today, right now, in Jesus' name, amen. Joshua 3.5 says, Consecrate yourselves to the Lord, for tomorrow I'm going to do great, amazing things. I think that this is, as we jump into this, this is one of those things that God's calling us to consecrate ourselves, to get rid of all these things. It's not just about having religion. It's about letting God make us set apart. And bitterness is something that, you know, is is kind of a little more in our segment here as as we look at the word, but but everyone on the outside, they're not thinking bitterness. It's like, whatever, you know, don't get bitter, get even, you know, it's like the kind of mentality. So let's take a look at this. Ephesians 4, and we're going to start at verse 17. It says, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Futility means it is not effective. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Everyone say hardening. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality 
so as to indulge every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Now, he says Gentiles here, not necessarily a people group, but more of like those who are not believers in Christ. He says, don't listen to people of the world. Don't listen to the world. Why? Because bitterness has hardened their heart. Bitterness has hardened their heart, and what it's done, it has separated them from God. Now, we become separated from God because of a hardened heart. We look at it, and it says what there? That verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. The hardening of their hearts separate them from God and cause them to act out. That is why they're separated from God. This is really critical. This is the world. As we open these truths, we got to know that the world has nothing of value for us in, in contributing how to deal with bitterness. We see what the, what the world's response is. Let's read on, verse 20. It says, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Not of the world, but in Jesus. You were, ta- you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. What he's saying here is that when you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, the old self of you has died. The, the understanding of the world that has of you and how to deal with these things has died. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives inside me. It is that transition from the old to the new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, and the new, the old is gone, the new has come. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. These are, are right here. He's saying, like, when you are with Jesus and you have that relationship, you can put to death the things of the past of the old world. And to put on the new self. Let's continue. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Now, first thing on here, it doesn't say that being angry is sin. I find that kind of relieving. It's like, being angry is not sinful. It just says, when you are angry, because we know you will get angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Everyone say foothold. Now, the thing I love about this is this is a very convicting verse for me because as you get married, you know, the whole entire conflict of, of things, of, of going to bed, you know, still kind of fresh or angry is the worst on earth. You know, and, and in marriage, it, the stakes are so much higher. And I, I, I remember, like, even, even now when we have a little disagreement, I'm sitting there, I'm laying in bed, and, you know, like, it's a little more space in between us, and, you know, you're sitting there, and this verse keeps on ringing through your head before I go to sleep, you know, it says, don't let the sun go down on this anger, or whatever. So you send, like, a big toe over to send a peace offering, and maybe see if there's a little response or something, and, you know, like, you try and, like, reconcile there under the, the covers, right? And um, if, when you guys get married, you'll understand. So you're like, you know, but you understand because what happens is as we, as we let that gloss over, as we let the sun go down, not only once, but we let the sun go down twice and three, four times, what begins is that our anger begins to fester. And our, uh, our anger begins to spoil and becomes sin and becomes bitterness and resentment. And that's where we're heading tonight. It says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, 
but must work doing something useful with his own hands and that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. What's basically saying is don't be a spiritual leech. Don't be in a relationship with others and steal everything from them. You know, people that, that are, I mean, it's, it's just our, our Christian nature sometimes is to kind of be a leech on someone. Our entire spiritual health and existence depends that we have a host and that we just live and suck every little last drop of life out of them. And we are always on the taking end. And he's commanding us as we talk in bitterness. He's saying, like, it is time that you who steal begin to build strength with your own hands and take responsibility and begin to co- contribute back for the health and the benefit of others. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. And this is how you grieve the Holy Spirit. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. And here's where it all comes to the point. It all comes to a head right here. Not to grieve the Holy Spirit, because we have been called to be set apart. We've been made a new creation. And we can spoil that. We can totally miss out when we enter into bitterness and all these things they list. And so this is what we get to talk about tonight. So what makes a person bitter? I'm going to keep coming back to these points, so listen up. What makes a person bitter is perceived sin. Everyone say perceived sin. Now it's interesting that perceived is going to be a very crucial word in here. What makes a person bitter? Perceived sin. When we think, when we think someone has sinned against us, we wait for an apology. Everyone say wait. We have a perceived sin, and so what we do is we sit and we wait for that apology to come. And in that transition, between that moment in which we have felt offense, that's another way you can think of it, is, is perceived sin or offense. We've taken offense of, of some nature. Between then and as we wait for an apology, this is where resentment and bitterness are born. This is the, the bear trap, if you will. And if the apology doesn't come, if we've been wrong, if we think we've been wrong, and we sit there and we wait for it, during that time, resentment bursts bitterness. Right off the bat. And I think maybe a lot of us is, maybe we don't have something that comes off to us right now, but I think if we think long enough, and we'll see why, is I think a lot of us have these little safety boxes of bitterness we have. Somewhere in our, our, our Christian walk, we've gotten the notion that in order for there to be forgiveness, there needs to be an apology. Right? How can you forgive someone if they don't ask you for your forgiveness, right? Doesn't that sound like that somewhere in the Bible? It's not. In fact, you cannot find the word apologize in the Bible anywhere. There's no biblical essence supporting that anybody ever needs to apologize to us in order for us to forgive them. Bummer, huh? That takes away all of our justification now. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that someone must come to you and beg for forgiveness and that then you'll be redeemed and then then you can give them forgiveness. It's not in there. Here's the kicker, is maybe the person who's offended you or has sinned against you, what if they have no idea about it all? And you're waiting for that apology. Bummer. You're, 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 you're sitting there, you're waiting for that apology, you're waiting, and this person has no idea. They're living their life just carefree and fancy-free, and it's, it's great. 
And you get to sit there and, and you just begin to fester and wallow and just eat yourself alive. I love it because I think this is the one that gets us tripped up. When they don't know, or what if they haven't actually sinned against us? What about that? What if our offense, what if our perceived sin really isn't sin at all? What then? We have all these feelings. Where do we put those things? I once was driving through Southern California. This was a couple years ago. Driving through, and I was going on different appointments on different things, and I just was driving. I was like, okay, I got to go to this appointment, then I drove home to Sacramento. Two years later, I get a phone call. Oh my gosh, I'm so mad at you. They finally broke. They've been sitting in bitterness for two years because I had driven past an area where they lived near. This is a close individual to me. And I did not stop and see them. I'm like, what? What, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And I, I'm not kidding. It was, had it been at least two years, maybe even more, from when I had been in the area and driven past them on my way to Sacramento back home. And I'm getting torched. I have this, like, monster coming through the phone about how insensitive and how mean and how, and how rude and how hurtful it was. And I was just told, it's hurtful and you, you know, this. And I just got this, like, oh my gosh, what is going on? Have you ever had one of those encounters? Have you ever had an encounter where something has just hit you blindsided and it's not even close to be on your radar screen? You're not even the same zip code of, like, where this person's coming from. And I'll tell you, it, I did not sin against them. I, I, I had no idea they were even still living there, you know? But yet, this person was so enraged, and they had let bitterness take such a grab and a hold for two years. And finally, because I didn't come forward and bring it out, I didn't come and say, oh man, I totally confess this. Then they broke, and they took it all out on me, and I've had a damaged relationship with that person ever since. I'll say this statement. If you are waiting right now for an apology from anybody, for any reason, you have bitterness. If you are waiting for someone to reconcile with you right now for anything, large or small, you have an amount of bitterness present in your life. Any, any bit at all. It's a bummer, huh? Don't let sin go down on your anger. That is the key. It doesn't mean that we don't live in community. That doesn't mean that we don't communicate with others, that we don't discuss things and, and do it. But the reason why I don't let the sun go down, it means that it's, it's, it's time limited. By the time that day ends, that you've done something to communicate with somebody. And I, I promise you, nine times out of ten, the person probably has no idea about it. But you can talk about it in a way, and you can dialogue, and you can live life and not be bitter and still talk with people. But as soon as the sun goes down, and it keeps on going, and, and the days keep on passing— that is where bitterness goes. So what makes a person bitter? Again, perceived sin. The second thing, what are the characteristics of bitterness? You remember the details. You remember the details of an offense or perceived sin. If you remember the details, you have bitterness. Yeah, I'll let that one kind of like marinate right there, huh? Sounds like all uncomfortable. Oh, no. If you remember the details, and the great thing is that bitterness is so good because it, it, it burns in your memory. You have such good details and ideas. I once had someone confront me on something. They knew the, the day, the time, and just to prove that they were right, they, they told me what I was wearing that day. I was just like, are you serious? And I, I, I just, I couldn't believe it. I was, I was so impressed by someone's memory, and, and I thought it was just completely, you know, 
wow, is everyone's memory like this? Or do you have photographic memory? No, it's because bitterness has a characteristic in which it memorizes the details of it. And what's challenging, too, is the sun goes down on your anger, so those details become a little bit more twisted, a little more exaggerated, a little more heavy, a little more intense, a little more traumatic. The longer that goes, that's why letting the sin pass overnight is so dangerous. Bitterness remembers the details. You relive it over and over. You become obsessed with the sin that they've committed. And here's what happens. I think you, you get moved into two camps. When you're in that mode, you do a couple things. Is that you internalize it, and you convert it into motivation, and then you use it as fuel. You internalize it, and you convert it to motivation, and you use it as fuel. When you've been offended, you have offense, you have perceived sin, you focus on the details, you remember the details, you live it through, you convert it to motivation as you internalize it, and then you use it for fuel. Let me tell you how this can come out. I'll be honest with you guys. I've pursued business out of reason to show someone else up and to prove to somebody else because I was so bitter. I used my convictions to prove myself, to show that these people were wrong because of the offense I took. I used it so that I could stand in there and throw a finger in their face and show them that I did it. Bummer. To like look back and say, wow, I've, I've been a part of so many cool business things. Too bad it's all tainted with all this bitterness that I, I built this monument to my bitterness. What about, this is my favorite too, like I think every guy knows this, you know, you get dumped, what do you do? The next day you're in 24-hour, you know, like pumping iron at 4 a.m. and you're like, I'm going to get so ripped, she's going to be so mad she ever dumped me, right? And the guys are like, maybe not, you know. No. And what about girls? Girls do the same thing. Plastic surgery is a booming business, I think, for this reason too. You know, you want to get the guy to pay, you know, you, you want him to see you with another man and you want him to feel jealous, Right? You internalize it. You turn into motivation, then you use it as fuel. Now, what about the other side of it? What about you take bitterness and you use it as motivation to completely shut down? You flip the switch. You give up. You're like, you know what? This feeling right here, I'm going to use that. I'm just going to cut it off. I'm going to shut down. I write this person off. And you focus your energy now into complete separation and complete, uh, yeah, just destruction of yourself, I think. Destruction of that relationship. You consciously make a decision to turn it off, to shut down, to unwind, to write it off, and to withhold love. Characteristics of bitterness, you remember the details. Why do we become bitter? Because we feel justified in it. Why bitterness? It's because that, the bitterness is justification for what they've done. Bitterness is the justification to the offense that we feel. We think that we have the right to be bitter. Isn't that right? Someone does something, hacks you off, you have this feeling, you are completely justified in your own mind. And the longer things don't change, the more justified you are. Their behavior hasn't changed. They haven't done this. I haven't gotten my apology. They have not seek forgiveness. They have not been restored. And I am completely justified in this feeling. We think that we have the right to feel this bitterness. And what, what's interesting about that is this is really dangerous because this all of a sudden now allows us to label ourselves as the victim. 
when we get to look at somebody, we feel justified in the way that we withhold love from them. We feel justified in the way that we write them off, we completely ignore them. When we feel justified in these actions, we put a big victim word over our forehead. And now we are the lowly ones that are so pitiful that all this is happening to me, and I'm the victim now. Bitterness is best friends with victimhood mentality. I, I can't think of a stronger relationship between the two. And as long as we perpetuate that victimhood mentality, we have power, or so we think. And here's what it does, is that when we portray and act and behave as a victim, it completely legitimizes and gives us permission and gives us excuses to fail. It gives us excuses and reasons not to try for anything, anytime, anywhere. Why don't you do this with this person? Oh, well, because they've done this and this and this. Why don't you go do that? Oh, because of this. When we have a victimhood mentality, we completely justify and rationalize any act of shortcoming, of failure, of compromise, and we give ourselves a complete scapegoat from achieving nothing. It's amazing. We give ourselves reasons to fail. We give ourselves reasons for not trying. And we feel completely justified in it. In fact, we'll give you a nice 12-point bullet case about all these points about why we're completely justified in that. You ever had one of those individuals? Someone confronts you and they have a list? Oh, that's fun. Especially when it's like multiple pages, you're like, wow, this, this took some effort, you know? I mean, that, that's what it is. It's that victimhood mentality where, where, where you come in and you've, you've found benefit from being that victim. I think, uh, I think a, a lot of people are, are addicted to bitterness. I know for a while I was. For a long while, actually. I don't know where it comes from. There's, there's different family members, both close and extended, that, that have struggled with this. And I don't know, it just it seems to be something that's crept up in our families for different issues. I know for me, it was something that I just kind of glossed over and just, I put it down, but I totally wrestled with this. I could totally justify, remember every last detail. I was a, an attorney on some of these issues. And it, it made me feel good because I felt I was justified to feel sorry for. You ever, like, wanted someone to pity you? You ever wanted someone to, like, say, oh, man, and just lavish you with such, oh, that's terrible, oh, no, and just, you know, and you're like, yeah, it's horrible, you know, and you want to give them that gratification? I think I went through the entire period of high school like that. I wanted people to feel sorry for me. Why? Because I got a B in English. Isn't that lame? I had two brothers, or I had a brother and sister, and they both were like the academic geniuses, right? And it was like everyone at the, you know, in the whole entire state. My sister was, was an Olympic athlete of, you know, all kinds. And, uh, and so I wasn't an athlete, or I wasn't very academic. I did, I did okay in school, but when I got my first B, it sounds so ridiculous saying this now, I just, I, I, I moped, I went into this deep, dark depression, and I want people to feel sorry for me, and I want to portray myself as a separated child that doesn't do anything. And that's what I wanted the picture to be painted for me. Because I thought that would earn me friends, I thought that would earn me pity and, 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 and relationships with individuals that would have the context that they would be like, oh man, and give me attention because of it. I didn't have very, very many friends in high school, let me tell you. That's not a good strategy. If you're looking to build friends, don't have a victimhood mentality and don't feel sorry for yourself. Now, there's a difference between mourning because the Bible is explicit about that when we mourn, that there's something sacred about mourning. But when we have a victimhood mentality, 
we have self-pity, we're sure with self-esteem and all these things, and, and we're, we're angling it somehow for a benefit, for some ulterior motive. I think that's rebellion to God. That's not biblical at all. Do you know, nowhere in the Bible does it mention self-esteem either. I found lots of cool facts this week. Nowhere in the Bible does it say self-esteem. The only place it even comes close, it says esteem others higher than yourself. This whole notion of self-esteem is just, it's not biblical. So we have no reason for self-pity to wallow and be trolling for sympathy. I know some people do that. And you know it's coming, too. You're talking to them. And, you know, you're like, you want to be nice, and you're talking, but you know that just there's going to be like this fishing line that goes out, and they're going to start trolling for sympathy, you know? And, and it's, I, I think we're, as a culture, addicted to this because it feels like we've given power. The thing is, bitterness is also based on proximity. You know, it's like you see something on the news, you see some horrible crime happen, it doesn't really affect you. Like, whatever. But someone, like a family member, forgets your birthday, just forgets to call, and how angry you can get. Isn't that amazing? Bitterness has a direct relationship to the intimacy of the offender. And remember, the offender is perceived sin, perceived offense. It's not the size of the offense, it's how close it is to you. It doesn't have to begin with a sin, it can be little. It can be the smallest little thing. I'm amazed at how many marriages around me are going through turmoil right now because of small, insignificant little specks of issues. Something little tiny. Some issue that has no bearing or meaning whatsoever has completely derailed their marriage and their relationship. It has nothing to do with the size of offense. And the more intimate the relationship, the deeper the roots of bitterness will go. So, what if they never apologize? What now? If we look back and we think of, okay, if I remember to sin, or remember to offense, we remember the details. We like it because it gives us power. We feel that we're owed an apology, and we're waiting. We have bitterness. So what now? It's a lonely journey. I'll tell you this from experience. I have someone very, very close to me that in my mind at the time, I could have put on trial and convicted them for 100 counts of neglect, 100 counts of humiliation, 100 counts of pain, of sorrow, of everything, of every kind of wrongdoing. I could have justified and I would be the judge, the jury, and the attorney all in one. Someone so close to me. I went almost four years living in this. And what I'd do is I'd build this case and i keep on adding to it. And I'd wait for the day in which there would be this reconciliation. I'd wait for the day in which the birds would open up and the sun would break out and you'd, you know, you'd hear like the angels singing all of a sudden this person comes to you and they're like, I've been so terrible, I'm so sorry. And you know what? That bitterness was such an issue that my wife and I sought a mentor and professional help for it. Best thing I've ever done in my life. Ever. A lot of people have like shame and like, oh, you know, counseling or something. It is the most freeing and liberating thing that, that when we let bitterness fester, we're not just talking about like the sun going down, we're talking about years. Remembering the details, reliving them. Day after day, week after week, month after month, being reminded of the details. And that compacted over four years, we kind of messed up. But the crazy thing is, like, all beneath the surface for me. I'd say, oh, I've totally forgiven them. 
No, I haven't. I was living a lie. I totally had it in there. And so what I do is I, I lived for that moment in which they would come and say, I'm sorry. And you know what my plan was then? My plan was to say, I forgive you. No. My plan was to completely rub it in their nose and to show them my pain. My plan was to systematically make them feel so horrendous and show them what they've done that they would feel so horrendous. Like, I, I knew that no apology that would come my way would ever do the justice of my big list. Ever. And some of the worst things I, I heard in this, we, we call her our mentor, but her name's Lori. <laughs> She's amazing. And she, she told me, she looked me straight, straight in my eyes and she said, this person will never, ever, say I'm sorry. They will never do it. Except right now that that day will never come. You will go to your grave either an old bitter man or you will go to your grave free. Either outcome is your decision because nothing is going to change with them. It's like, wow. That's kind of heavy. And then I got to think about it. So what they, what did she have me do? She had me actually write down it's not, it's not easy enough just to say, oh, I, I forgive this person for this. You can't say I forgive them without actually knowing what it is. You can't authentically forgive someone for bitterness, for humiliation, for all these different things if you can't articulate what, exactly what it is. And so I had this homework assignment. Sounds silly. And it had like all these different like feelings and lists and verbs and adjectives and things. And so my assignment was to sit down and to spend an afternoon and go through it and officially take my entire list of offenses, a perceived sin, right? I have no, it wasn't sin looking back on it, but I could take this entire thing and I get to articulate my bitterness in full fashion. That's not what I thought it was. I thought it was like making my case, kind of, but I got to articulate every single thing that I felt. And then after I was done, I was like, okay, now you know how to forgive this person for this. You now have a roadmap of every single place that you get to forgive them for the bitterness you've had. Bummer. <laughs> but it was so life-giving, and, and when, when that happened, it completely broke. And I've been able to live free, and, and I've been able to be so much more free from that because I realized that there is no time, no place, no set of circumstances when this person would ever come back and reconcile, would ever do the, the justice that I wanted to have done in my life. You know, what's interesting is that even if they apologize, oftentimes we still can't forgive. Even if we do get that, you know, you hear the saying like, I can forgive, but I can't forget. That's not biblical either. You forgive someone, you forget it, you move on. It's as if it didn't happen. Isaiah 43.5 or 43.25 says, I am he who blots out your transgressions, and for my sake I remember them no more. He says, I, even I, for my own sake, will not remember your sins. I forgive you, but I have completely wiped them from my mind. Psalm 103 says, it's as far as the east is from the west. That is our God. That's what we need to look for. And bitterness is your problem, not anybody else's. It's easy for us to label our bitterness and say, it's this person's fault. That person's fault, that bitterness. It's not. It is your own fault. It is your own issue. It's your own mess to clean up. So, bitterness, perceived sin and offense, characteristics of it, remember the details, 
what you can do about it. First, you can keep it inside. Keep it inside is really fun. That's what I did. What it does is it makes you sick. It torments you psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, psych psychologically. It torments you. you. You've built this entire complex structure of existence, of bitterness in, your, in your, your, your body and your soul and everything, and it torments you if you keep it inside and you're completely sick. Second option is to let it out. If you're sick, why not get everybody sick, right? You know? It's not the right answer. Bitterness is not supposed to be this huge plate of vomit that you throw up on someone before and hand it to them and say, here you go. It's <laughs> nice. That's not how it's supposed to go. Just because you're sick, because you've been tormented, because you've let bitterness take root in your life, doesn't mean you need to come and ambush somebody with it. That's not biblical. God tells us to do our own forgiveness by ourselves. It doesn't matter. You don't need to go seek that apology. Ap apologies are not biblical for us to give forgiveness. The third, and which is what we are focused on tonight, is to dig it up. And it says bitterness, in Hebrews 12, 15, it says this, Referring to bitterness as a root, it says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. No bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Look at the, uh, well, I'm reading it. So before it, it says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God. See to it that no one misses the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You get that? That bitterness would allow us to miss the grace of God? It's kind of heavy. That our bitterness would allow us to miss out on things freely given to God. <clears throat> but over and over, bitterness is referred to as this root. Now, what's interesting about a root? It's underground, it goes deep. It's living, it bears fruit, it weaves, it's complex, right? If any of you guys have been to my house, you notice we have like this small little home in West Sacramento, and you pull up, and there's a small little tree in the middle of the lawn. The tree, I mean, it's, it's got to be like this big around. It's like tiny. And it's maybe like, you know, 15, 20 feet tall. And the thing, it doesn't do anything good. It produces like these spiny pine cones like 12 times a year, and I run over them with my lawnmower, and I hate this tree. Because it, it produces these like horrible things that fall on the ground. I got to put them in a bag and throw them away. And I'm just over. I just like enjoy hitting with the lawnmower because like this huge explosion flies out the sides. And this tree like drives me nuts. It does nothing good besides provide shade for the dog. And it's this little tiny tree. And so about a year ago, my family came over and my, uh, my parents are, are just flower tree gardening nuts. Like they know everything. And my dad and mom were caught in this little discussion about this tree because this tree is really interesting. Because its roots go down and are so strong is that they'll actually crack the foundation of our home. Crazy. It's small. And it's, I'm like, well, this thing is only tiny. Like, oh, no, no, no. Like, you see that little thing on the, on the top, but deep down it's going far. And it will completely destroy your house, this little tiny tree. And so we're kind of thinking, like, okay, what year do we have to cut down this tree so we save our home? I mean, this stupid little piddly tree is going to take out our entire house if we don't address it. Isn't that how our, our bitterness is? It lies beneath the surface, and it grows down where no one's seeing, and it's slowly building inroads for destruction. Whether it's destruction in different areas of your life, your career, your finances, your relationships, and then about the whole part about 
loading it off on everybody else, you get to destroy things around you too. It's crazy. That little tree can completely destroy the foundation of our home. Little by little, time over time. So, to wrap it up, if we can have the, the band come up. Here's where it all comes together. How do you get rid of bitterness? How do you get rid of bitterness? Simple. How do you get rid of that tree? You have to dig it up. You have to dig up the root of bitterness. Digging up roots stinks on ice because I'm, I'm a horrible gardener, and so I'll go back and I'm trying to pull this tree and, you know, it breaks off of the roots, you know, and so I'll just, you know, whatever. I'll come back and, and three days later and the whole entire thing's like regrown. And so then I go and try and pull and I snap it off of the base and three days later it's back up again, like these weeds, you know. And the only way that you can get these weeds out is if you dig down and get the roots and you pull them out. The only way to get free from bitterness is to dig it up. And so we have four quick little things that are just things to marinate on. And I also recommend for those in the chronic cases for me where you've had bitterness that's been years compounded on years, is to seek someone who believes in the authority of the word that can walk you through, that has experiences, and to guide you through it and to take it head on. If you knew that you could fix something, if you knew that there was help for you, why wouldn't you do it? So the first thing is to recognize your bitterness. There's four R's. The first is to recognize. Recognize and acknowledge that you have bitterness. Don't look to the offender of the offense, but recognize your own bitterness. Stop looking at the other person and look in the mirror. The first thing is to take complete ownership of your own bitterness. The second thing is to realize, realize that it is your problem and your problem alone. Bitterness is the sin of the person, not of the offender. Bitterness is no one else's responsibility but yours. So realize that it is your problem. It is your problem that it's grown in you. It's your problem that's still there. It's your problem to get rid of. So you stop looking around you. Stop looking for the easy way out. Stop waiting for that apology that won't happen or come. A third is to repent. <clears throat> Maybe this is where we begin to get off the trail a little bit. Is to repent. Confess bitterness as your sin. Labeling it sin. Can I give you freedom to tell you that bitterness is a sin? That it is a sin needing of repentance? That you would own your sin, own your bitterness, and claim it to God and confess it to Him as a sin against God. It is evil and comes from Satan. Remember we looked in the, the scriptures about giving Satan a foothold. Bitterness is a it's a welcomed foothold that you've given to the enemy. Confess and receive forgiveness. So the third is to repent. The fourth <clears throat> is to represent Jesus. Now we've finished chapter four. Let me read you just the first two verses of chapter five of Ephesians where we left off. It says, be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly lo loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Those first two words, be imitators. Represent Jesus. <coughs> Jesus laid out an amazing example for us. When Jesus was on the cross, hanging there, and there's people below him, 
spitting on him, throwing things at him, mocking him. You know what he said? He didn't say, God, send your fire and strike these men down. He said, in the middle of the mocking, in the middle of the fence, he asked, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Be imitators of God. Ephesians 3.17, this is great, says, be rooted in love. Remember, bitterness is a root that takes hold. But Ephesians 3.17 says, be rooted, have roots, but be rooted in love. We need to exchange those roots that we have that strangle and destroy and replace them for roots that breathe life and produce fruit. And instead of that spiny pine coney tree, we'd have roots that produce sweet fruit and have a bountiful harvest. That's the kind of roots that he says. And so be rooted in love. What does that mean? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It is it does not keep record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Be rooted in love. If you don't know how to break bitterness, study love. Study exactly what it means to love someone, what it means to have sacrifice for them. And to know that that is what you're supposed to be rooted in. That that is the roots that God is calling you for. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. So recognize your bitterness. Realize that it's your problem to fix. Repent and confess it to God and represent Jesus. So if you're like me, seek professional help. And all that flows in the same process. All that that help did for me, and again, I'm the proudest person of, of that mess I left behind me. I, I, I look back and I, I, I'm so thankful for what God liberated me from and took me through. And I get to stand back there and I get a wave to that mess that was there waiting to come out in some other fashion. Whether it came out then, it would eventually come out somehow or some fashion or form. I'm just glad it didn't come and cause more harm than it already did. But I think if we ignore this bitterness, we ignore it, if we just pretend it's not there and, and just pretend that we haven't been bothered by this, then we're setting ourselves up for a, a tremendous stronghold over us. So that's it. Why don't we all stand? <clears throat> Father God, we just thank you, Lord, tonight for your word. Lord, we just thank you that you give us the solutions that Lord, it's not an easy four-step program, Lord, that anybody needs to do, but Lord, it all ends and starts and begins in love. God, I pray that those of us in here, Lord, God, I would dare to say all of us in here, God, that have bitterness, <laughs> Lord, that we'd be honest and real with you, Lord, that we would completely own it. Lord, if, if there's individuals tonight that need to repent, God, of it, if there needs to be a closure and even have someone telling them that there will never be that apology that is due to them and to be liberated from that waiting, that expectation, Lord, I pray that there be freedom tonight, Lord, to experience just breakthrough in this area. God, we know that
God, you have called us to consecrate ourselves because, Lord, tomorrow you're going to do amazing things. And so, Lord, as a root that takes hold of our life, that grows and gives foothold and access to the enemy, Lord, we just pray that we would take root in love. God, that we would dig up those roots. God, that the sin that so easily entangles us, God, the sin of bitterness, Lord, that it would not any longer hinder us. And so, Lord, I pray whatever needs to happen, God, in these places for freedom, Lord, would take place. God, give us the personal strength to do whatever it takes to have no compromise in our life, that we would not stand for any sin in the camp, that we would not stand for any compromises in our life, that we would not allow any footholds to be there. We would not give any permission for the enemy to have access in our life. And so, Lord, give us the ability to get free from that tonight. And Lord, for those of us that have a long road of dismantling our defaults for that, Lord, God, we just pray that 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 road will be marked with blessing and fruitfulness. God, that we wouldn't dread taking on these things, but Lord, that we would embrace it knowing, God, that there's refining, there's fruitfulness, and God, there's liberation and freedom. And Lord, we want to live the lives that you've called us and told us, Lord, that we can live. And so, Lord, I pray as bitterness is one of those things that easily entangles us and holds us back, Lord, that we would just move boldly forward. God, you say those who knock, the door will be open. Those who seek will find, and those who ask will receive. And so, Lord, we ask you corporately, God, as a community, that you would dismantle bitterness from this place. The bitterness would have no root, God, in our lives. God, I thank you just for the declaration, even this week, God, seeing a leadership member just reaffirm that there's no place for bitterness anywhere in our lives. If we expect you to show up, Lord, if we expect you to move and use us, that we cannot harbor bitterness and resentment because, God, it is rebellion. And so I thank you, Lord, for bringing this forward for us tonight. God, that it hurts us to look inward and to pull and and poke at it, but I just thank you, Lord, that you'd allow us to be humbled to see that happen. We expect great things, God, these coming weeks. Continue to reveal your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. If anybody needs prayer on this issue or in general, a couple of us will be over by the side. We'd love to pray with you and, and be with you for that. And this is going to be a great ride. We're going to continue pulling and poking at these things. And God has amazing things in store for us. So let's worship.